we got one piece of feedback from a mother who said, this is a wonderful idea. My husband doesn't always know how to connect with our son since he's so little. Reading to him gives my husband an opportunity to bond in an easy way. Hmm. And I think that really is what our program is all about, of how can we help the families bond with their baby while helping them. My name is Rob Van Nood, and you're listening to the second season of Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between. Educators and students share their short, elevator pitch-sized stories to raise your awareness of everything that is going on here at Catlin Gable School. When I started this series on collaboration, I really was thinking about the idea in the context of teaching and learning at the school. And the amazing thing about working at a place like Catlin Gable is there are so many examples of collaborations that extend beyond the school itself. My guests on this podcast demonstrate what real-world collaboration can look like in the hands of motivated and inspired students. Benjamin Olshin and Hazel Walrod tell me the story of the nonprofit Benjamin founded two and a half years ago. Babies with Books has a clear and important mission, to get books into the hands of parents whose children are in the NICU at local hospitals, and in doing so, help support the kind of intimate connections that parents need to build with their newborns. Hello, my name is Benjamin Olshin. I am a junior here at Catlin Gable, and I am the founder and leader of Babies with Books. Hi, I'm Hazel Walrod. I'm a sophomore at Catlin Gable, and I'm a volunteer at Babies with Books. So we are a group of teens from across Portland, bringing early literacy into the hospital setting. We, um, and the reason why we're doing this is to support infant brain development and family bonding, as well as school readiness. Our primary program is the NICU reading program, where every weekend we go um, and meet with NICU families, talk with them about the importance of reading with their baby in the NICU and the how and why to read with their baby, as well as we provide them with um, with books, uh, with children's books that they can read, that the parents can read to the children. Um, the NICU is the neonatal intensive care unit, which is the place where very sick babies are hospitalized. And um, some families have asked us why is it important for um, why is it important for parents to read with their babies, um, especially in the NICU. And the reason for this is that NICU babies are at an increased risk of poor health and neurodevelopmental outcomes, um, especially delays in language development as well as lower IQ scores um, due to medical complications, also decreased normal sensory experiences and increased abnormal sensory experiences such as monitors beeping in the background. Um, as well as separation between babies and families in the NICU, as well as any family socioeconomic stressors that were either present before their NICU stay or um, due to their NICU hospitalization. So how did you start this? Like, It's been running for a while. How, how long has it been going for? 
Uh, it's been going on for two and a half years. Wow. Okay. So let's go back a little bit two and a half years ago. What was the inspiration? How did this all get started? Yeah, so I started Babies the Books in the summer of 2017, um, and I was really interested in, I, w- I have a passion for reading, and I've always loved reading, and I'm also interested in learning about medicine. Um, so I was finding, looking for a way to combine the two while also engaging, um, while also engaging my peers, and I have some personal experience in the NICU. My mom is a doctor there, and my aunt was a 28-week, uh, a 28-week preterm infant um, who had very low odds of survival. So that was a place that was really near and dear to me. And um, so then I pitched the idea to my mom and then some hospital administrators. Um, and then we just got the ball rolling from there. So was it at the beginning, was it just really you, your mom, and just kind of you had this idea and you just started rolling with it? The first thing I did was I reached out to some of my peers at Catlin Gable. Um, and we created a group of about five founding members. Um, and we started talking about what do we want to do. Uh, we pitched the idea to the hospital, and then in January of 2018, we had our first distribution. So you're calling this a nonprofit. So is it actually uh, a legal nonprofit in Oregon and the United States? You have a board and all those kind of things as well? It is not. So we, um, we can get tax-exempt uh, tax donations through the Randall Children's Hospital Foundation, which is the, um, which is the hospital where Babies with Books is primarily at. So are you then as an organization paired up with, you know, kind of a, another organization that is your nonprofit? They, they get kind of infer the nonprofit status to you? Is yes. that how that works? Okay. Hazel, how did you get involved? Um, so I got involved last year, I think around the spring, but basically it started just because I was kind of you know new here because I just started in freshman year, and I was looking for some community engagement opportunities that I felt like passionate about. So I was kind of just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was sort of lost in that respect. And I heard about Babies with Books from a friend in my CNC, uh, Rachel Yogan. I think she was one of the founding members. Yeah, so I heard about it from her. And I just really liked the idea, especially the reading aspect, just because um, I also am very um, passionate about reading and literacy. I think that's super important. And it just seemed like something that I wanted to try that was kind of out of my comfort zone, um, just because of like the hospital setting. So um, after that, I went through the whole orientation process, which was very long. Um, And then I started distributing books, I think in spring. Um, And then I went, I kept distributing through the summer and then into this year. So say a little bit more, when you say distributing, were you just going in and kind of passing books out or what did that what did that look like? So you go there with like a few other volunteers and you kind of put on these like shirts and you have this book cart and you go around to like every room in the NICU because at Randall it's like separated into different like rooms where the families are and you kind of knock on the door and you're like hey would you guys be interested in hearing about this early literacy program and then I mean most families are very eager to hear about it so you kind of go in and talk to them about 
um, what the program is and like why it's beneficial and then yeah they just kind of get to pick some books that they would like to take um, they're all just children's books so they can read them with their baby or with um, the siblings because often there are siblings um, and we just, yeah, we give them a few forms, and then we're like, great, bye, thank you. And you give the books so they can take the books home? Yeah, they are theirs, because just, also, we can't really take them back because of um, sanitary reasons, but yeah, so a lot of people are like, oh, where do I return the books? And we're like, actually, they're yours. So that's pretty yeah. cool. And there's been a lot of studies about the benefits of book ownership as well as book choice. So we have a book cart with about 150 different titles in seven different languages that families can choose from. Um, and we, we, like Hazel said, we, we give them the option of what books they want and we really focus on that dialogue of why is this important and how can you do this when your baby is hooked up to all of these tubes. Um, tubes and other um, other things and part of it is that there's a lot of high-tech solutions to health in the medical environment in the hospital. Reading is extremely low-tech, low-cost way to bond with your baby, especially if you may feel distant from your baby's care and feel, you know, I am scared. I My baby might die. What can I do? then what our program is really trying to do is provide them an avenue to connect while also supporting their health by helping them succeed in the future. So Hazel, you painted this picture of you walking with this cart, you'd give mm -hmm. these books. Are you getting feedback from parents afterwards? Is anybody reaching out and, and wanting to share their experiences with you? Like over the last two and a half years, what what are some examples of you know, the reactions from families. So um, part of the whole distribution is that each family we go to, we are really adamant about giving them a feedback survey so that they can then fill that out and give us feedback. And also we use it to track like how much more they're reading and see if like it had a good impact on their lives. Um, and so then we take that and we use it in part for presentations for donors, but also just to see like whether um, things are working. Um, so that is one opportunity that families can get back to us. Um, I'm not sure if there's other ways. Yeah, so we, we've served 700 families and met with 700 families and provided them 1,800 books. And throughout that process, we have, um, through our survey data, we have um, attempted, although it is self-reported, to measure the impact of our program. And so for the time period of January 2018 to June 2019, before contact with our program, 41% of families did not read with their baby. And then of these families, all of them began to read. Um, and then further, the average daily reading time increased from 11 minutes to 28 minutes, and the average number of weekly reading sessions increased from 11 to 28 minutes. Um, so really a lot of the families um, are benefiting from our, from our program, and we also have gotten, we got one piece of feedback from a mother who said, this is a wonderful idea. My husband doesn't always know how to connect with our son since he's so little. Reading to him gives my husband an opportunity to bond in an easy way. Hmm. And I think that really is 
what our program is all about, of how can we help the families bond with their baby while helping them. From our, from some of the census data of our, of our, of our program and of the NICU population, we found that um, 51, that we serve 51% of the population. So when we learned that, we brainstormed, our team brainstormed how we could um, serve 100% of that population. And the way we're doing that is we are getting more involved with the healthcare providers in the NICU. And so we have created a welcome packet program. So when a baby is admitted to the NICU, we provide them with a packet with a book um, in their desired language, our educational materials, and then also either a blanket or a onesie or um, some other nice welcoming um, uh, token and so this program has been one of our expansion efforts and we're also working on um, readathons and literacy celebrations so March is National Reading Month as well as um, March is when Dr. Seuss's birthday was so on March 15th we are hosting a um, NICU literacy celebration that is Dr. Seuss themed where we'll have Dr. Seuss books and decorations and this is a way that we are going to continue to support early literacy. Um, and going up to March 15th we are holding a readathon where the um, NICU families are in a friendly competition of who can read the most in the NICU and then the prize is of course more books. You're raising money you're going out to donors. T talk a little bit about that. What's that part of, you know, that whole business side of keeping this organization running? Yes. So we um, we have raised twenty five thousand dollars. We have been really fortunate to have the support of On Point Community Credit Union, who are um, who's supporting us with fifteen thousand dollars over three years. Um, so that has been a large source of our funding. Um, also, we have gotten about $7,000 from grateful NICU families who we have served in the NICU at our distributions. Have you made any connections to other literacy programs? Um, and what comes up in my mind is when I graduated from college, um, I did a VISTA ship, which is like the Peace Corps in the United States, and I worked for the Oregon Children's Foundation. And they have a reading program that's been going on now like 25 years called SMART, which is Start Making a Reader Today, which in many ways sounds exactly like what you guys are doing, but in low-income schools. So there's like a card of books, volunteers come in and, and read with kids, and then the kids get to take home any the books. So it, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity for your organization to make these connections. You're starting really young, which is awesome. I'm just curious of what you've seen out in the community in terms of possible connections. Um, and part of the reason I'm asking that is I'm, I'm wondering about like the whole idea of tracking the benefits from like that NICU into older life, the benefits of reading with, with kids. Yeah, definitely. So we have focused a lot on that. One of the um, expansions that we've done from our NICU program is having um, we established a book library at Randall Children's Hospital in the NICU of the lobby. And while the books in the actual NICU need to be new, the books in the lobby can be used. So we have connected with 
the Children's Book Bank, as well as Tidal Wave Used Bookstore of Multnomah County Library. And they have donated about 900 books for us to, um, for us to provide to families. And we've also partnered with Reach Out and Read, which is a national early literacy health-focused um, organization. Um, and they, they are focusing on bringing early literacy into healthcare at, um, in the outpatient pediatric clinics. And so we are working with them really closely um, on lowering that, on, on providing books to babies at a lower age as well. Oh, I, I was just going to say that um, we were actually just talking, Benjamin and I were just talking about this yesterday because I was talking about how I thought that, so we're doing a lot of expansion work at the moment in terms of different hospitals and just to make our program like farther reaching, but I was also just talking about how I thought it would be really amazing if we could somehow, instead of just to other NICUs, we could also do to other age groups in the hospital or outside of the hospital. Um, and we were just talking about that. I think we were having a team meeting really t tonight, yeah, this evening about just expansion and our hopes for the future. I think that is one of the things that's going to come up, like how we can make this not just this one NICU or not just this one age group as well. Yeah. So who's all, who's all on your team? Who's the... How many people? <laughs> yeah. So we we grew from five kids in one grade at Cat and Gable to over twenty kids from six high schools across Portland. Um, yeah. So that has been a really our program has grown a lot more than I would have initially imagined. Um, and part of the expansion that Hazel was talking about is we we are both looking to expand at Randall Children's Hospital as well as provide our model that we've been refining for two and a half years to other hospitals. So one of those we're expanding, uh, we're in the process of expanding to two other hospitals in Oregon, uh, St. Vincent's, which has um, approved funding for the program, as well as Portland Providence Medical Center. And one of the, we are also looking to, uh, we're creating a toolkit of our program and all the materials that we use that we can send to other hospitals so they can implement similar programs and either adopt our program or adapt it. We, um, we were invited to an international medical conference last year where we presented a poster about our program and while we were there we um, we garnered we got feedback from 29 hospitals that they were interested in um, receiving our toolkit, and these hospitals are anywhere from Utah to Doha, Qatar, and Edinburgh, Scotland. Wow! So, you guys are sophomores and juniors, at least the two of you mm -hmm. at Catlin, with a school that has a pretty heavy workload. This could con you know conceivably be a you know, full-time job for either of you. Um, how do you find the balance to run this ever-growing organization and be volunteer in it and continue to be a student with all the things that, that happen as a student? Um, yeah, I can talk about that. Um, so that was kind of a big struggle of mine at the beginning, especially since 
to get started, it takes like a little bit of momentum just because of the orientation and things like that because it is a hospital so they have regulations. But after I got past that, it's just about finding, I mean, the distributions are only like a few hours long and you can do them. We're trying to do them like twice a month or so. So while that may seem like a lot, it's really more manageable than it might initially initially appear. Um, however, admittedly, last few months, I have kind of been doing a few less distributions than I would like to. So I think it's all about like different times of the year, you have different amount of workload and What's great about the program is that since there are like so many volunteers now and we're bringing on more and more, it's like you don't have to constantly feel like you have to um, be at every single distribution, every single event, since there's plenty of other people that would be available. And it's just about finding like a few mornings every month that you can just pitch in for a few hours. Yeah, and one thing that's really exciting is that we our program is very very unique we are the we are one of the only NICU reading programs in the US and we are as far as we know the only teen led NICU reading program so there's been a lot of excitement both from hospitals and other people as well as teens to join the program and we started with um, in back in January of 2018 um, doing book distributions every two weeks now we've got it down to every week um, yeah, and I would say I have loved working on this project and helping lead this project because I would much prefer to work on something tangible that I can do with my peers and learn something rather than, um, rather than watch TV. I, I find this really, really fun to do um, and to say, yes, I... I helped make this happen. I helped, um, and we, we, the community, did that. So uh, I think one last question, maybe two. Um, I'm curious your ideas about, you know, you're doing all of this work outside of Catlin school hours, right? Um, mm -hmm. If you could imagine having the opportunity to do more of this type of, you know, very intense real-world work during school time or get credit for it, what do you think that would look like? Would that be a class? Would it be like, I'm just curious that there's so much learning happening in what you're doing. How could we take some of the work that you're doing and it applied in a school situation, in a school setting? Any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I haven't really ever thought of that before, but I think it seems as if Catlin is moving towards having more emphasis on community engagement and like what people are doing outside of school and I think that's great because it might give us an opportunity to do this at school like you said. Um, I could see it being more as like a club activity that we could possibly incorporate some of the work into just the co-curricular time that we have. Um, just about like reaching out to people and maybe ordering books or like seeing what's happening in the NICU, I suppose. Um, in terms of like a class, I feel, I don't, I don't know. What, I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I'm, so I'm on the Community Engagement Leadership Committee and we've been talking about oh. questions like this. Um, and I think one thing that I would really feel would benefit, I know the, the schedule constraints are very tight, but if we could have a longer co-curricular period, I feel like that would be beneficial to 
do some more sustained impact. Nice. Um, so we've we've kind of run out of time, but do you have other things that you wanted to share? Um, do you have uh, the possibility for people to join you? I mean, you have a website that we can put in in the the description of the podcast. We, we do. Um, our website is babieswithbooks.org, and you can email us at babieswithbooks at gmail.com. And are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for donations? Like, how can people in the Catlin community contribute to the work you're doing? We are looking for um, all of the above. We are especially looking for volunteers who are freshmen and sophomores um, so that we can continue the program and keep it alive, especially in Portland after we graduate. Um, and any other support that anyone thinks that they could give or any, um, yeah, that would be great. There is a age requirement, right, for volunteering at the hospital? Yes, 14 and up. 14 okay, years yeah, old. So. Great. Yeah. Well, Benjamin and Hazel, thank you so much. Super inspiring to, to talk with you guys. I think you're doing amazing work. Thank um, you. And I think, I'm, I hope other people will be inspired to contact you and, and get involved. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate. If you have questions, ideas, or want to share your story, please send us an email. Elevate at catlin.edu.